Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6? My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. If you walked in, you might have seen um, a baby bottle. And if you didn't, they're at the front, the other front, this front, and and then they're in the very back. So they're here and in the back is where they are. Here, (laughs) there. Uh, We've covered the exits. Uh, Lynn Simpson volunteers for Crisis Pregnancy Center here in, in our area. Uh, for the month of March. If you want to take one of these home, there's information in it. We're just asking you to fill up with your spare change, your dollar bills. You can put a check in there if you want to. Get your kids involved in it. And by the end of the month, we want to give them 100 bottles full of money to help carry on the ministry of crisis pregnancy here in Middle Tennessee. So any questions, Lynn will be standing down here uh, at the end with the baby bottle. So hope everybody prays and takes one with you this month. Everybody can do this. It's real simple. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to just read the whole chapter. We don't do that a ton, but we do from time to time read the whole chapter. I want to read this because it's the Word of God, and the Word of God does not return void. It's not just an academic exercise. We're going to speak the Word in this service, and we by no means are going to get through all of this chapter today, but I believe that God has been working and stirring in me personally. I saw what he did in first service, and I believe that he's going to do it here and through every uh, service through the month of March and into Easter. Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? No way. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That is the theme that we're gonna hit over and over again, resurrecting you. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And verse nine, for we know that Christ, since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument to righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then, verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, 
You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and just ask that your word will become a light to us today and a lamp to our path. We just ask for your spirit to make this not an academic exercise, but a literal Holy Spirit moment in our hearts today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you had laughing gas before at the dentist? Anybody? Come on, show of hands. Okay. Who had a terrible near-death experience with it? Okay, Mo, a couple of you. Shannon? Yeah, sorry, you had a near-death experience. So I had it on uh, Friday. I uh, went to the dentist, and they're like, oh, I see you got your wisdom teeth still in there. And I'm there, of course, they're getting ready to slide the piece of paper across the table and tell me how many thousands of dollars I can pay to get my wisdom teeth out. Which I was like, man, if I'd have done, we'd have done that a long time ago, but I'm like $23,000 in braces right now just for my four kids. So, so how about you just hit me with the laughing gas? This is the best 60 bucks I've spent all year for sure. Maybe in my life, but for sure top 10 in my lifetime. <laughs> they put it on, they're like, you know, just tell us if you, if you want to back it off. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm a big guy. Just turn that thing up to 11. And, uh, and I got to tell you, it was glorious. <laughs> like glorious. Because you understand, they've got like a pipe wrench and a, a band saw. Or, I don't know, like they're literally building something in my mouth. Like, <laughs> while the dentist is talking with his assistant about like the daddy-daughter dance tomorrow night, and they're gonna t- one of the daughters is Maddie, because I'm hearing, I'm literally hearing everything. And I don't care a bit. I'm just... And at some point, Suzanne, I don't know if this is what happened to you, but what happened to me is at one point, it's like I'm realizing this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. Now I'm fully conscious, and yet, uh, like you're just waiting for like the Led Zeppelin, the giant pig just floating across the auditorium. <laughs> and if you're laughing, you're old, because you know what I'm talking about. But I'm thinking, is this what it means? Like, this is what, I'm actually thinking I've been here too long, and I felt like I was just getting smaller and smaller and then I'm thinking consciously, oh, maybe this is what happens. Like, you don't expect it. Like, I'm in here. Maybe I'm dead. Like, that's, this is a conversation I'm having in my head. And I didn't even care because the laughing gas was like, whoo, Jesus, coming to meet you. Until I heard, like, distant, relax your tongue. Like the distant voice, which I'm thinking, I, was, I thought I was relaxing my tongue, but apparently I was like super like not relaxed. And unless that's the thing that you're going to hear right before you step into the pearly gates, relax your tongue. <laughs> I, 
I'm like, well, that's probably not Jesus then. That's <laughs> probably the assistant. But as I'm enjoying this, maybe more than I should have, um, it actually was like, this is why people find themselves stuck in addiction to opioids, heroin, marijuana, because I don't want to feel that way, and this makes me feel amazing. So I'm medicating a pain that I didn't want to feel recreationally. And as I was reading this this week, this passage of what it means to be a slave to sin, you know, I'm reading it and thinking, well, first of all, salvation is achieved or received, sorry, scratch that. Salvation is received, not achieved. That's big news. That's Romans 1 through 5. And whenever you hear that message declared, the automatic question for we earthlings is, well, then let's get our money's worth. Let's go on sinning. Why wouldn't we if it's, if it's received and not achieved? And that is Paul saying, here's why not. Here's why that is. In fact, I don't know if there's such a thing as an exclamation point in the original Greek, but he is saying, no way. This is crazy. And in this passage, we don't have nearly enough time to get through this today. So just so you know, I know that. But as I was reading, I was looking through this and saying, man, God has some stuff in here for us if we're stuck if we're in addiction, if we have a behavior that we can't stop, that we just keep doing over and over again, and you young'uns, you may not be there yet, but this is a path you could go on, that there is literally a path in Romans 6, 7, and 8 that can keep you out of that mess and can rescue you from that mess. Both are in this passage. And in doing so, recognizing the, the things that I see here, the, the three things that I'm seeing in front of us are recognizing the nature of your slavery. Like understanding and admitting that, there, that I am, no matter what I think, I am slave to something. And that is in verse 16, that whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then in verse 12, he talks about obeying the flesh and the lusts thereof. And in, uh, the next one that I see, and we're going to just hit these in order. We may not even get through all three of these. Realizing the scope of your unity. So once I've recognized the slavery and the reality of what I am in this world as a human, then if I'm realizing the scope of my unity with Jesus, which is cosmic in nature, it is not just ground level. It is literally universe. He is restarting it inside of you that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're going to do baptisms the week after Easter because that's baptism. He's just saying, I have been resurrected to this. And then the third thing, this sort of progressive thing that I'm seeing here is then repeatedly living out of our identity, which is verse 22, for that you have now been set free from sin and become slaves to God, and the benefit you reap leads to holiness, wholeness, and is eternal life. So the nature of your slavery, verse 16, he says, do you not know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's just saying what you may or may not know, but it's true. You're living for something right now, whether it's your job, your career, your wife, your looks, your, your shape, your, you're, just, you're, looking, you're living for something. And whatever you're putting that into becomes what you don't know is becomes your spiritual master. And so when he says this, 
Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And if you've got anybody got a King James, it says lusts of the flesh. That's actually a really good um, translation, literally. But in our modern parlance, we see lusts of the flesh and we think immediately 50 shades of gray. Like weirdo stuff. Like we're thinking sexual, aren't we? That's not what he's talking about. The word he uses there is actually a word called epithumia. I heard that one. Could he use that in a party later? Epithumia is the word that he uses there. And it speaks of evil desires, which is probably what your NIV says. And we immediately think of us as like now the evil desire means I'm desiring something evil. But the evil doesn't talk about the thing. It's talking about the desire itself. So see if you can smell what I'm stepping in. He says, epithumia is a inordinate desire. The word thumia is desire. The word epi, where we would get our word epic from, means an inordinate, a huge desire. It's not necessarily, even though it can mean an inordinate desire for something sinful, what it's really saying is an inordinate desire for something good that I get it out of whack because I am desiring something good, but I have put an epi on it. And what I'm really doing is now saying that I need this to make me happy, this to make me fulfilled. And when this desire is fulfilled, then I will be happy. It is an epithumia and it is the recipe for slavery. Yes, sir. I'm going to share something with you that is about to be maybe a little academic, but I'm praying that the Lord will use it. And if, if what I say today speaks to you at all, um, I encourage you to get this book, uh, subscribe to his podcast. Is anybody just out of curiosity familiar with Chip Dodd? Some of you guys locally here. Have any of you been through like an intensive with Chip and, and lived to tell about it? So I have, and that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> Chip uh, does these intensives where he takes you uh, through a week of this, and his, his idea was that taking a pastor through this before he does something stupid um, is a lot better than taking the pastor through it after he did something stupid. And so, you know, he basically rung me out like a chamois for like eight hours a day for like six days. And I mean, I literally, when I came out and saw my wife for the first time, I looked like I had been, you know, mentally, it was just, ugh. But in that process, what Chip's premise is, and it's important to share this for you, because when I put an epithumia, when I put a desire on something, the desire comes from something. And at the core of it is it's oftentimes something good. And so what Chip's logic is, what his position is, is that at the core of who we are, we have these five spiritual roots. And at those roots are our feelings, which Chip says there are eight of. And he acts, this is extremely biblical. The dude is a Jesus dude all day long. Biblical, he talks about the feelings that we have. When you were born, do you remember it? No, right? Because you weren't thinking yet. We put a lot of attention on our thinking but when you're born at the very core, you knew how to feel without anybody telling you. Those were there already. And from there, our feelings tell us what we need. And we saw Maslow's hierarchy of needs last week. At the core of what we need, you could do, these are like the two that all hang on these, is your need to matter and your need to be accepted. Those are the basic needs that we all have, which is why a child, if it's at a restaurant, someone who's got a good attachment to its mother or father, that if the mom and dad are gone, and they, they're worried where mom and dad is, they will leave their food, even if they're hungry, to find their parent because the attachment, the desire is there. That's what they need. And that need leads us, by the way, to the desire. 
that I, here's what I need. I need to be accepted. I need to know that I matter. And so I'm desiring, where my desires go is to try to fill that need. Are you following me? Am I, have I lost anybody yet? And the need leads us to desire, which is supposed to lead us to the longings, which is the longings for justice, the longings that everything is going to be right, something that this side of heaven will never happen. We're longing for it. And then it leads us ultimately to hope which is the hope that Jesus is going to set all of that right. But where we get stuck mostly is in between needs and desires. Here's an example of this. A, a, a need that I have is to be accepted and to matter. And that need can be met, that desire, through the desire to be married. But I could literally suffocate my wife by asking her to meet every need that I have. I am putting an epi on my thumia instead of saying that, hey, in the imperfection of our lives, that there are certain things that my wife will never be able to meet for me and I'll never be able to meet for her. And so for that, instead of drowning and suffocating her in that, take that to the Father. I was, um, I don't know what you guys do. Uh, David and I were talking earlier about uh, working out and, and I have this weird thing when I work out which is, which is clear, I'm not really working out. So, um, but instead of listening to music while I'm working out, I listen to like podcasts. Does anybody else do that? Fellow Enneagram fives right there, or ones too. Um, I'm listening to, and, and by the way, weird stuff sometimes. Like this week I was listening to Shankar Vedantran's uh, Hidden Brain NPR podcast. Anybody? Just be real honest with me. You know, there's no shame. Hey, Joe. Here. Uh, and here's what Shankar Vedantaram, he's, he's got a guy named Eli Finkel who has written a book called The All or Nothing Marriage. He's a neurologist, a sociologist, and his idea is that what we want from marriage today is way different than what we wanted in 1950, and that we as husbands and wives could never fulfill that for each other, and it sets us up for failure. That is true, right? We could probably have Dr. Beam go through some of what those expectations are. Now, here's where the wheels come off, because if you're a secular guy, like Eli Finkel. Eli's idea is, hey, these needs, they're in there, and so if my wife can't fulfill them the way that, that you, what we should do to, so that I could actually get them met in me is I should get an extra woman because then she could help meet that need. He is literally, this is not some nut job. Well, he actually is a nut job. He's not some out in the boondocks. This is literally a mainstream NPR podcast suggesting that the idea is that my needs are so great and the way that I should get them met is that, uh, is that my wife can't do them is that I shouldn't expect that of her, that I should get an extra woman. And he makes an absolute case for open marriage. Now, let me tell you, there are a long line of people who tried that and it didn't work. You are not going to be the first one. It meets a need in you, by the way, for a moment. But my office over the years, I've seen plenty of it where they thought they could game the system. It's like eighth grade all over again. There was an episode of Seinfeld in the 90s where there's no such thing as sex without a connection that is spiritual. But if you are a sociologist who is secular, that doesn't even occur to you. You go try this, and then what happens is you end up getting a free ride to a Joe Beam's Marriage 911 weekend to try to undo what you've done because it didn't work completely. It is fed an immediate desire, but you epithumia that. Instead of taking that need to the Father, you took it to someone else. Now, what Chip says is this, and what I think is worth us looking at. At the core of who you are when you're born, you feel. 
When your baby is angry, she can't eat, he can't, he's hungry, he's angry about it. That's a feeling that just happens naturally. But as you get older, you have learned to shut the book on that. Because anger isn't good. It has to be bad, so I have to stuff it down and depress it and act like I'm not angry. Sadness, big boys don't cry. Suck it up, buttercup. My, when I'm reading this this week and I see these epithumias, what I believe is happening is our feelings are there, whether it's anger or whether it's sadness, but we shut the book on it, we didn't deal with it, and so I'm shortcutting it to my desires that ultimately led me to put a desire onto someone else that they couldn't possibly bear. And what I have ultimately become is a slave to this impaired version of these. What he says here in this, these lists is that, so sadness is the top one on that list. That if I am on an unhealthy state of that, if I'm ignoring it, that I'm gonna move to self-pity. And if I am moving in it, if I've acknowledged it, I'm moving to acceptance. Now, and sadness is a great one to start with because we've all lost somebody. We've all lost something that mattered to us, a relationship that we lost, someone that died, a marriage that was supposed to be forever and it didn't, and there's a, there's a pain in that. And so the idea that we feel that sadness is not a bad thing. It's an attachment feeling. Sadness at a funeral, Dave, got to, uh, Dave Shindell got to lead a funeral on yesterday of a, someone he led to Jesus 17 years ago. And there's a sadness to that. Of course, there's a joy. He's in heaven now. He's 81 years old. He's with Jesus. But the sadness is I can't call him anymore. Now, sadness felt, taking it to the Father, says I can actually accept this. That's the five stages of grief, right? You might recognize that. Acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean it's okay. In our church family is uh, Dean and Kim LaRocca. And seven years ago, their little boy went to be with Jesus at 12 years old. Accepting it doesn't mean that's okay. Accepting it means that's not okay, and that's okay. I can accept that, and I can take the risk to love again and to move on. And you know what acceptance does in our lives? Acceptance taken to the Father, moving into acceptance, means that they started a little toy store in downtown Franklin. Franklin Toy Shop. They ended up, uh, just last year, ended up shutting it down after six or seven years. But for those few years, their acceptance of that Move them into a place where they could love on other mamas and daddies who've lost their little boys and girls. Acceptance moved them into something. When you go to the unhealthy and I ignore it and I'm not allowed to be sad, it moves you to a place called self-pity. And self-pity at its core is basically me saying, nothing ever goes right for me. I do everything like everybody else and it never happens for me. So I'm just gonna check out. Self-pity is actually you asking someone else to do sadness for you. I'm not willing to do sad, so I'm going to ask you to do it by making you feel sorry for me. And you can be a slave to self-pity. Breaking free of it, no longer a slave to it, means taking the journey back to where the Father created you, to the desires that ultimately are only fulfilled for him and fulfilled in eternity. But it doesn't mean not feeling sad. It means taking it to the Father and not drowning your significant other in it. Fear is on this list. Now, isn't fear something that we're not supposed to feel, right? Fear, I don't want to fly on a plane where the pilot isn't a little bit afraid. You know what people who aren't afraid do? They're careless. A not afraid pilot 
goes to the bathroom, checks his email, checks his Facebook. It's all going to be okay. In Haiti, just a few years ago, right after the earthquake, we had landed, and a young lady was sitting at the airport. She had only been there just a, a few hours, and nobody, she didn't know anybody. She flew in there by herself at 19 years old after an earthquake. And if you've been to Haiti, you know that is nuts. And I remember, I'm like, who are you? Do you, have any, do you know anybody? No, I'm just believing God's going to be. I'm like, uh, well, are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. Well, maybe you should be, was my response. Maybe you should be. Get in our tap tap. We'll figure it out later. But she was careless because she had been taught that feeling fear, we don't even want to deal with fear. Now, on the unhealthy side of fear, by the way, is anxiety and rage. If I, if I don't acknowledge that, hey, I'm a little bit afraid of this, by the way, if I say I, fear is never a thing, then I don't even understand the fear of the Lord. Like, there is a healthy side of this. But when I ignore it and say, I don't want to feel this and I'm just going to do it anyway, it leads to anxiety. If anybody has dealt with clinical anxiety, there is an actual physiological thing that's happening in you. But it started a long time ago with you saying, I'm not going to feel that fear. Fears of the day. I can't feel this. I'm never going to feel this. And the ultimate side of it is rage. The opposite of anger isn't rage, by the way, it's depression, but the opposite of fear is rage and anger. So when you are ultimately punishing someone with your rage, it's not because you're so angry, it's because you're really afraid. And you're afraid you're going to lose this person and this anxiety, and I've been holding it back, and so my only thing with rage is I'm going to control this situation. I'm going to hurt you before you get a chance to hurt me. And the ultimate, by the way, the worst form of rage, the worst one is silence. The door slams and I'm just going to punish you with my silence. That is an unhealthy form. It's an epithumia. You become a slave to the rage, a slave to the anxiety because you've been stuffing it down all these years instead of taking it to the Father. And by the way, anger is one of these feelings that we, are, we don't really like so much. Anger is actually one of the most vulnerable feelings because when someone feels angry, you know what they're telling you? I care about this. Your anger is vulnerable because if I'm angry about this, I'm saying to you that I care about this. And when I let the anger, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be a good boy. Good boys don't get angry. Control your temper. Control, don't let me angry. You depress it and that puts you into a depression. Again, clinical depression, there is such a thing. And I believe in doctors and I believe in treatment for that. But it starts with you depressing your anger. And before you ever get there, Take your anger, and instead of lashing out at your spouse or at your children, take your anger, your epithumia, and your desire to control, your desire to matter, your desire to be wanted and accepted, and take it to the Father. And allow anger to be transitioned into passion, the healthy side of it. When I move into passion, it means that I'm angry about this, and I'm going to do something about it. The passion of the Christ speaks of Jesus looking down on this earth and saying, I am angry at what's happening here. Our Heavenly Father said, I'm angry at this. I'm angry at what sin is doing. I'm angry at the enemy, and I'm going to do something about it. Moving from, healthy, uh, from anger into healthy anger is passion that you're going to do something about it. I would bet if you sit down with Lynn Simpson and talk to her about why she gives her life for the cause of these unborn children, that there's a point where she got angry about it and she was going to do something about it. And that's healthy. That's passion. Feel it and let it go. Now, that said, we don't have time to go through all eight of these. Maybe we will as the week goes on. But here's, as these weeks go on, here's the thing. You're living for something. 
Period. You just are. And an addiction that is born out of this is you not feeling and saying, I'm going to walk away from this. I'm not going to feel it. You're trying to control it and your desires are being met through drugs, through alcohol, through sex, through pornography, through food, through your job, through your workout, through your eating plans. Through Those are not bad things, but when I put the epithumia on top of that, then it bears a weight that it was never meant to bear. And when Paul says this, we're going to be united with him and we're certainly going to be resurrected like his. When we ask the question, Romans 1 through 5, we have, our salvation has been received, not achieved. So let's go get our money's worth. Let's go keep on sinning. When I let go of the epithumia, when I let go of the evil, the, over, the overdrive desire for even good things and put it back on the Father, what I'm understanding is this cosmic unity that I have with him. He says in verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus talks about at the time when everything will be set right, when the world will be reborn, recreated. He uses a word called palagenesia. You hear the word genesis in that? It was a stoic word spoke of the Stoics saying that the world would forever be in a, in a cycle of being destroyed and then recreated. Go through another cycle, destroyed and recreated. So when Jesus spoke those words in that culture, they knew what he meant. And he was saying, there will be a palagenesia, but it will be when I am set on the throne, when I said everything right again. Paul would take that same word in Titus 3.5 and talk about your rebirth it's only used two times in the New Testament, once by Jesus and once by Paul. He says that when you're palagenesia, when you are reborn, do you understand what he's doing? He is tying the rebirth of the universe. It starts with you, and it starts with me. So if my only question, after reading Romans 1 through 5, is, well, can I still look at porn? I mean, if grace is... Can I, can I still go out? Can I still get hammered? Can I, can I, if that's your only question, you need to go read it again because you don't understand what he's saying. C.S. Lewis sums it up so beautifully, as he often does. He says that indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards and the staggering nature promised in the Gospels, it would seem... Listen to this, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The question comes to mind, man, why is it so hard? Why, is it, <laughs> why does it take so long? We're going to talk about that next week. But for today, we're going to sing a little bit more. And I know it's 1145. I know if somebody has to slip out, like I get that. But if you can at all stay, I would want you to because I want you to do some business with the Lord right now. To find your epithumia. These whether it's alcohol, whatever the addiction is with you, that's not the problem. The problem is a desire that you're getting met that only the Heavenly 
Father can meet for you. So when we get to this, the words of I'm no longer a slave to fear, you're speaking of anxiety and rage. But that might not be yours. Maybe you're a slave to your, to your anger, to your depression. Maybe you're a slave to your self-pity. As we're singing those words, you may not get it all today. That's fine. I believe that the Heavenly Father wants to meet you right where you are to remind you of who you are. To not lower your desires, but to raise your desires for the eternal joy that is offered and promised to us. Heavenly Father, we as a church family come together right now to worship you and to sing and to allow you to unravel us, to take us to the deep place. Lord, for those of us that are trying to get someone else to do the sadness for us through self-pity, Lord, we repent of that today and we break free from that, stepping into acknowledging that it's not okay, but it's okay. Moving into acceptance that you can provide for us. Anger, Lord, through fear, shame and hurt, guilt, loneliness. We bring it all to you today and allow you to speak into it, break us free from it and move towards your freedom today. We are no longer slaves. Our Heavenly Father, we are no longer slaves. Not just in our position, but in our lives. We stand free today. And tomorrow morning when we wake up, later today on the drive home, when that begins to put back on us, we remind ourselves of who we are that desire to be accepted, the desire to matter is met at the cross. It's met with you, Jesus, the perfect finished work of the cross. Of course we matter. You punched through the time-space continuum. You came and you pursued us. Of course we matter. Of course we are accepted. And today, Lord, we begin to do the work that's needed books that we closed on this stuff long ago, we open up, Lord. That even feeling that pain, there's something on the other side that's more important than feeling the pain that we've been trying to avoid. That we press into that and we bring that to you as well, Father. It's in your name, Jesus, that we can pray these things. It's because of you, Jesus, that we are free. It's because of you that the power is broken. In Jesus' name. Gang, you matter. <laughs> You're accepted. He, he wants to do a big work in you. And I believe that this series is going to be one of the most important things we've ever done in this church because by Easter Sunday, we're going to have a room full of freedom warriors <laughs> bringing freedom to everybody around us. In Jesus' name, go and be blessed and be free.